So we are crossing state lines in this episode uh, to talk about the Equality Act. So um, we'll get rid of the housekeeping. We don't need to, to get into that because um, we could probably take hours on this uh, d- this topic. So we, we, we can skip skip that kind of stuff anyway. But, uh, um, you know, David uh, Sr., I guess Daddy, Daddy Van Bever, thank you for joining us again. I think this is the third podcast of 2021. So I think we had a gap. With you not being on the podcast for a year, and now in one year, this is the third time we've That's, had a good time with you. Well, actually, I think that was in December of 2020. He oh. did two programs back to back. This is the first time yeah. of this year, if I remember right. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. Whichever it is, we've already discussed how time flies <laughs> <laughs> already before the show. But uh, guys, uh, thank you guys uh, uh, that are live with us right now and everybody that's listening to the podcast um, when that uh, gets uh, put up anyway. Thank you guys for being a part of this. But this uh, discussion um, is brought to you by uh, the fact that we do monitor YouTube comments. Yes. So we thank you uh, people on YouTube that uh asked uh, if we were going to ever hit the Equality Act. And, uh, you know, we were like, hey, this is what you want us to talk about. So we will definitely do so. So here it is. And we have brought uh, David Van Bever Sr. in um, as another voice in on the discussion. So um, with that said, I guess uh, we'll ask the question, what is the Equality Act? Well, we should say before you do that. Okay. Just in case there are some people. David Van Bever Sr., who don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about who you do, who you oh, yeah. are and what you do. I am a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 37 years. I've been here in Riley for 35 and at a little church called Bostoria Baptist Church for over 28 years there. And I am a, a bivocational pastor. I'm currently a transportation director for the local school district. Uh, I have a wonderful wife of 38 plus years and five children and 11 grandchildren. And um, yeah, I went to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Southwest Baptist University. And uh, yeah, enjoy history. It's my undergraduate degree and uh, enjoy theology and and study of the Bible, and that's all good things for me. So I yeah. always it was a news junkie uh, from an early age. So there mm-hmm. you go. And this is definitely something that's in the news and that we're seeing play out right before our eyes, and we've got to edu- educate your, ourselves about what's going on and knowing that it's not just actions flying around, but there are um, – there are religious uh, issues going on, even if it's uh, not centered on Christ, but there is uh, religious issues. There are religious actions that are being played out that we need to, as Christians, understand um, what's going on, view them from our worldview and how that we view things 
and uh, be able to speak the gospel ultimately into these issues. So, you know, that's why we're here. You know, you're a pastor, you're speaking issues all the time. You're trying to apply the gospel um, to people's unbeliefs um, as far as, you know, sanctification and discipleship. Or if somebody comes in and is not a believer, you know, you're applying the gospel to them in that situation um, and whatever they're facing in their lives that they're coming to you for. And so um, let's uh, speak into this issue of the Equality Act. But, you know, let's I don't know if I'm. No, sorry. I I apologize. (laughs) I I, I, you can see how informal we are. Um, We do have these questions. So, Adam, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) away. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. So let's get into what the Equality Act is. And I know that we asked you to come on the show, um, Daddy Van Beber. So um, you go first. What is the Equality Act? Well, the, the Equality Act, it seeks to include activity, specifically LGBTQ plus activity, mm. and make them a protected class <clears throat> within the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It mostly, not exclusively, but mostly changes the statements within the 1964 Civil Rights Act Mm-hmm. about race, sex, and uh, nation of origin uh, as protected classes. It now it seeks to include all of those LGBTQ plus activities. It really goes back to, to the Civil War. Isn't that odd? Hmm. Uh, they passed the, the, the 13th and 14th Amendment, no slaves, equal justice for all citizens under the law. And the slavery thing ended quickly, but that equal justice under the law got got thrown under the bus pretty quick. So there were a series of civil rights acts that were enacted to try to curb and stop injustices against uh, mostly African-Americans. And uh, those kind of came to a head in the 64 Civil Rights Act says you can't discriminate people based on uh, those three categories. And it really uh, included a lot of things, public accommodations, um, just the the whole list of uh, ways in which mostly blacks and women, also that was the sex inclusion there, um, and foreigners uh, from being treated badly. Mm -hmm. And so that law was passed in '64. And now we're in 2021, and they want to include those those folks as a special class. Just again, go through that 64 a bill, insert th- that LGBTQ plus. There's some other inclusions, but that's the main focus of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing because just I I, want to critique just a little bit of a thought there because just based on that fundamental assertion that you would take the 1964 Civil Rights Act and you would insert LGBTQI as a protected class, the problem with LGBTQI is often the plus sign that also follows it, which means that it is a very ambiguous and vague term that has a definition that is expanding to no matter what. Now, this is where it becomes problematic, because what if the I, then we add a P to that by meaning pedophile? We now have, because it is a plus, it does not have a definitive 
objective term and therefore is expanded. So when we add a P to the end of that, we then begin to say, ah, well now pedophiles, because by nature, the term with the I or with the plus sign means that it is expanding. It is inclusive. And that term inclusive has a, has a means, right? Yeah. So in other words, when we use a term that does not have a objective meaning because its meaning is expanding we actually bring a limitless term into the um nomenclature and therefore do not actually say anything yeah, uh, yeah. but of course it does say something but we've created a, a very serious categorical problem and uh, i'm glad that you put that historical element into it the 1964 civil rights act you know, I wasn't alive in 1964. You were pretty young in 1964. But as someone who studies history, what essentially, you know, if we're inserting LGBTQ plus I whatever into there, uh, what did the 64 statement or the 64 Civil Rights Act actually do? Did it repeal things? Uh, what did it declare? I mean, in a brief statement, you kind of covered some of that, but, yeah. but give us a little bit more clarity on that, if that's okay. Well, it had been a whole bunch of civil rights cases through the Supreme Court. And again, one of the things about Supreme Court cases is they speak to a specific case. Okay. They it said precedent law, but it's usually not all inclusive. This, even this Equality Act seeks to to codify what they what they have not been able to get throughout the entire uh, court decision. Like when they got done with the uh, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. I, I had it here earlier. It was the uh, versus Clayton uh, 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 case. The um, uh, let me look here. I, I had it here. That's all right. It's okay. Bostock decision. Thank you. The Bostock decision, the, that was a crazy decision back in my mind back in July of, of uh, 2020 where they decided to include sexual uh, orientation and transgenderism into the meaning of the word sex mm. in the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act. And even Gorsuch, who sadly wrote the majority opinion, said, well, we know they didn't mean that back then, but homosexuality and transgenderism is, is sex, so in today's understanding, so we include it. So the protection that the 64 law would give you is that if you were black and you had a job, they couldn't fire you because you were black. There's there's a there's a, a positive thing in the 64 Act. You can no longer just say, I don't like your race, you're fired. Hmm. The Bostock decision now has looped in uh, homosexual, lesbian, transgender folks and saying you can't fire those folks because you don't like their sexuality or transgenderism. Um, the 64 Act also said public accommodations. Again, there was a terrible practice of not allowing blacks in restaurants, certain restaurants, certain hotels, uh, certain public facilities. You had to enter a certain door to, to get into certain even government buildings. They didn't want uh, black folks to come in uh, the front door of the courthouse, go around the back. Uh, all sorts of terrible uh, discrimination that the 64 Act 
sought to correct. Uh, voting uh, rights um, uh, were also a part of that. You know, you, they, blacks had, had basically been denied the vote in the South from 1875 on the end of Reconstruction. Yeah, so these sought to correct those wrongs mm -hmm. based on race. It also included women. That was the sex part. That's when that's that's back when sex meant men and women. And also, you couldn't tell a woman, "We're not fire. We're going to fire you because you're a woman." You know, you can't have that job. We hired you, but our reason for firing is we decided we don't like women in this department anymore, or we don't like people who, who are from Mexico anymore, or from Australia. Your accent's funny. We don't like it. So, the, the '64 Act was very controversial. It passed pretty handily in both the House and Senate, but it was still a, a bitterly fought bill to say, hey, no, the, the segregationists wanted to hang on to that, and they got kicked to the, the curb there. Nope, no more segregation. Still took a while to work through all those uh, challenges, and uh, there was a restaurant owner, for instance, who said, I don't want to serve blacks. You can't make me serve blacks. I have a private business. You can't tell me who my customers will and won't be. And the court said, no, the 64 law says you've got to serve whoever comes in the door. Yeah. So, so this is the original question, you know, to think about, though, um, was the 64 Civil Rights Act, was that against only state sanctioned things or what, you know, is there a, more of a, a nuanced um, thing that it's uh, going against? Because it's my understanding, you know, you have. Jim Crow laws, you have all these things like you're talking about. The state didn't give them, say, the right to vote. Um, the state said segregate. The state, mm -hmm. the state, the state. And now we're talking about private. So was the original 1964 Civil Rights Act against the state it, sanctioned or is it a both issue? It was both. The way they interpreted it was interstate commerce. Mm. So if you have a restaurant and someone from out of state could come to your restaurant, you were involved in interstate commerce. So like the little shortstop here in town, mm -hmm. it's in Riley, Kansas. The people who own it live in Clay Center, and they just have places in Kansas. But people from many states go there and shop. Mm -hmm. So they're subject to the Civil Rights Act because they're involved. And that was a very broad definition. And again, public accommodations. And thinking ahead to the uh, this inclusion now uh, that, the, that the Equal uh, Equality Act would try to force on you was it would – that definition has only expanded as time has gone on since 1964. Yeah. So – Basically, uh, anything that takes federal money, state money, or is in any way connected with interstate commerce was how they – and that was how they decided it was constitutional because of that clause in the Constitution about that Congress can regulate interstate commerce. So that's kind of how we got that, got that bill. And, and I would say it's functioned not flawlessly, but – uh, you know the, the 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 claim of the of the LGBTQ folks, and it's in there in the law in their proposed law. It's not a law. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, referred to as the LGBTQ people, commonly experience discrimination in securing access to public accommodations, including restaurants, senior centers, centers, stores, places of establishment that provide entertainment, health care facilities, shelters, government offices, youth service providers, 
including adoption and foster care providers and transportation. And then it talks about and defines what that discrimination is. That's a long list. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes in lots of folks. I'm not, again, I, I'm not sure who's doing all this discriminating. That That's part of my issue with this law is uh, if someone walks into a restaurant or a gas station, uh, they normally serve them and take their money. Now, th- again, there is the, and, and you guys referenced it earlier, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Yeah. That said, hey, if you have a moral, uh, religious uh, conviction that participating in something is against your morals, your religious conviction, you can't be forced to do that. And this law removes that. Yeah. It basically says, no, that doesn't count anymore. So uh, there's all sorts of cases that have been in the news. The baker who doesn't bake the cake, the photographer who doesn't want to take the pictures and fill in the blank. And those folks could say, I have a religious conviction not to do that. And that's been kind of a iffy, iffy spot. This this law would remove all the iffies. Yeah. And, yeah. And say, nope, you, you if whatever the LGBTQ people want. If you provide it to anybody, you have to provide it to all. Doesn't matter what your religious conviction is. Well, let's back up just a hair before we move forward and dive in just a little bit deeper. And that causes me to think, you know, uh, obviously, you know, I listen to the briefing every day. Uh, I am a pretty good follower of Alpha and Omega Ministries and the Dividing Line. They're probably two of my major podcasts that I listen to. I listen to City of God, but let me hear this kind of from the pastoral standpoint, because none of those people are speaking to it in that particular way. Yeah. Uh, so as a pastor, why should pastors be informed about this? And then why should the lay church member be informed about the Equality Act? Because most people would say, uh, unfortunately, we do live in a time where multiple things are competing for our attention. I find often in my students, and and God bless the students at Spurgeon College, incredibly intelligent students, but I've seen this among people who are in that, you know, 18 to about 30 age bracket, they're not actually getting a lot of news. And I would say that the majority of the public news that is available, they're not talking about these things in a deep, actual, critical way. Uh, To quote some people, they would say the drive-by media, go by real quick and just describe it as quickly as you can, because we need to get to the next thing. Why should we be informed and why should we even pick up HR 5 and actually take a look at what it says? As as a pastor, it it would compel me to perform same-sex weddings, which I won't do. Okay. Uh, It would compel me if uh, I take my children to camp and we have our boys' section and our girls' sections at children's camp and youth camp. It would compel us to say, well— John thinks he's Jane, and he's going to stay in the girls' dorm. And when you say and compel, uh, do you mean a little bit stronger than compel? It would tell you you have to? Uh, yes. I mean, if you don't, we would then be in violation of this law, subject to criminal or civil penalties. Mm-hmm. 
for saying we're not going to do that. And some states already have such laws in place, um, and they, I don't know how many have been tried and, and put into place, but they can fine you. Uh, the The baker in Colorado, I believe, had a penalty. It wasn't a, it was a commission there. That, that that saw it redress against him. But this would be, wouldn't just be some commission in Colorado or Washington or California, New York. It would have the full force of federal law. So we're going to say we're going to segregate by boys and girls at camp. They'd say, nope, can't do that. Or how about this? Let me throw this hypothetical and make sure that I'm following. Let's say that someone comes to your church and they are a pedophile. They have done time as a pedophile, and they now say that they are a woman. So no longer does any of their pedophilia against little boys count, because they're now a woman, and they want to be a camp counselor, and you say, no, you can't be a camp counselor, but they say, well, I identify as a pedophile, and so I now uh, should go. That's not a crime in my mind, because it's part of my identity. You have to let me go and be a little boys camp counselor any conviction religiously against that, you would be denied. Is that correct? That's what would be their attempt. And again, because I wouldn't subject myself to that, I would be subject to the penalty, and it would um, potentially close down Christian camps. Okay. Because most Christian camps aren't going to, they don't want to send their, the parents aren't wanting to send their children to a camp where they're subjected to either transgenders, homosexuals, or pedophilia. Um, although pedophilia, again, it's that opened end in the law. It certainly opens that possibility up. It doesn't specify it. But even just the, I'll take it for what it says, that a transgender person uh, wanting to serve in the church. Well, we have standards, and one of those standards would say you they're moral standards. We'd say, well, you can't hold that position if you're, that's your morality. You can't even be a member of our church with that if that's your stated moral position. Well, we're just in their mind, we're discriminating, and so we'd be subject to criminal and civil penalties. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. And what I'm seeing here, and uh, just to, just to put it out there, is uh, because of COVID, um, because of the regulations that's been put on um, the the church or whatever, um, we see that the church is considered a public accommodation. All right. right. So, so here, here's the deal. Um, in point three of HR five, it says lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer referred to as LGBTQ people commonly <laughs> experience discrimination in securing access to public accommodations. And it says, including does not give you an exhausted, exhaustive list of places, but it just says public accommodations. And we already see it being worked out that the church building is a public accommodation. If it wasn't, if it was an exempted public accommodation, then churches would not have to be subjected to the mask wearing and the social distancing. They would say that would, that's the exception according to just the plainly stated constitution, um, article one. Um, but we found out that they truly believe that the church is a public accommodation. So I think I, 
we have every right to believe that this does affect the church. Um, if you look on YouTube, there is a video that I did watch earlier called the five myths. And one of those is this does not affect the church. This is not going to go against the church or criminalize Christianity um, that you can believe whatever you want, but until you harm people, well, is it mental harm now that if we do not let a somebody come into our church building and utilize a restroom, we say that they should not use. Um, you know, does that harm them mentally? Cause now we've got mental problems and, and people will go, I was mentally harmed. And so I deserve restitution for the mental anguish that I had to suffer while being in the building with these people that did not let me go into the restroom. I feel like I should go in and all that kind of stuff. So we have, we, I think we have every opportunity and, and or every, um, right to go. Yes, this is going to affect the church. Also on the, on the fact of you're talking about camps, um, they don't know what the definition of church is. Do we get to tell them if they get to tell us what gender they are, do we get to tell them what our church means? And that means that the camp that we have as say Missouri Baptist here, or say Kansas Baptist or whatever, Kansas, Nebraska, yeah. gotta get the Nebraska yeah. in there, yeah. the Kansas, Nebraska associations and, 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 uh, conventions and stuff. Um, do we get to define what we call the church? And, and what the church includes, and that includes our campgrounds, that includes this. That, so they're not a public accommodation. They are a private accommodation to um, the church and used by the church. And so this is the problem that we face is we got people that have no clue that the church is the called out people of God. And we do have buildings and we do have other things that we do, but they have to be exempted. And if they're not exempted, then the church will come underneath the scrutiny of this and we will be affected. And we, we are already seeing it. We can see it in a little way. If we are a public accommodation and it shows again itself by the fact that we are required to have masks and social distance in our churches, right? If we're going to meet in them and not exceeding capacity. So we've already seen the church buildings are a public accommodation and we are underneath the authority of the federal law to follow it. So how does then we take that information, we bring it into understanding this, we are affected. And so that video is going to tell you we're not, um, other videos and other people are going to tell you we're not, but if you open your eyes and you actually observe things and listen to things and critically think about things, yes, we will be. Well, I want to yeah, jump. Yeah, Go for the key was that religious, Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. So the, your religious freedom is superseded by this law. It would be if it were put into place. Yeah. So in 1993, if you read that correctly, it also states that uh, they can't do this on religious grounds unless that they are have a compelling argument to do so, right? That's the change from the original Constitution, Article 1, where it says, no, there will be no infringement. And then in 93, it says, unless we, we can infringe if we find a compelling reason to do so. And so that again, like we've already, like Dave, you talked about the expanding definition, yes, LGBTQI plus, and then you keep on going. So you've put something that is will be ongoing. Um, here, they've already had something that is ambiguous and allows room to um, to continue to define. 
instead of going, here's where we stop. And they're not ambiguous in who has an out. No one has an out. Religious doesn't, your religious, your religious beliefs give you no out here at all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's, we are not just talking about beliefs, but we're talking about practicing those beliefs too. And, and so, you know, we even get into, um, point seven here, um, of HR five, which is the major issue because this has gospel implications and discipling implications because it says the discredited practice known as conversion therapy is a form of discrimination that harms LGBTQ people by undermining the individual sense of self-worth, increasing suicide uh, ideas or ideation and substance abuse, exacerbating family conflict and contributing to second class status, which is um, a big straw man for one, because this doesn't, this is not speaking from our worldview that we can actually go, <laughs> no, this is not what we think about people, even though we do discriminate. Um, and there are distinctions that we make and things that we say that, yeah, you're not going to like. Um, but this, this becomes a straw man issue. But the issue of conversion therapy, um, if we live in families as Christians, and if it's going to end up being against the individual, my son or daughter, if they come up to me and say that I feel the opposite of what I am and what you're telling me I am, if I pray to go, hey, God, um, we, need, we need your help. We need your strength to um, understand who we are in light of you making us the way you've made us. Is that conversion therapy? And is that going to be punishable if my son or daughter ends up going, hey, government, my parents are telling me that I am not what I think I am. Or to publicly preach that you can be changed. No matter what you're feeling about yourself right now, you're feeling a same-sex attraction. You feel like you're a different gender than what you are. Then we can can pray for you. There's godly counsel. God, God... at First Corinthians six, says there were there were folks who were converted from being homosexuals and effeminate and child abuse. Those folks were converted, mm-hmm. and we believe that we preach that. And there, this this section is one of the more problematic. The whole thing's a problem to me. Yeah. But it's saying if I if I preach that and teach that, now I am in I'm discriminating against folks. And again, it's taking away not only my freedom of religion but my freedom of speech. But it can hold me. Criminally and civilly liable. Yeah, because what you're going to do is you're going to go out and preach, right? You're going to go out and preach, and you're going to say, God made male and female. God made you meaningful. He has a plan for all of his creation from the very beginning to the very end, right? Yeah. And he is calling out for you to repent and to come and to enjoy, to rejoice as he makes you a new person in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And then they come in and they, they believe you. They believe that what they're feeling and what they're doing, say there is somebody that comes to you and says, I believe that I do have a problem that I think wrongly about myself, that I feel wrongly about myself, and I want to come to this Christ and to be changed. And then you take them through discipleship going like, here's, here's some steps we can take biblically to get you from point A, which is, um, you know, what Paul said, he gives a list of all the sinful things and then says, mm-hmm. which were such, you were such these, but now you have been washed. When you get, take them through a, uh, especially being a pastor to tend the flock, to lead them 
through repentance to rejoicing um, in a changed life. That is what people could call convergent therapy. And so basically this is attacking the heart of what the church does, which is discipling. It is a direct assault on that. Mm -hmm. And there it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in this law that it, it, it pretends to do a lot of things. You know, uh, I see this one that it's uh, equal protection under the 14th amendment of the constitution. Yes, we all have equal protection, but actions aren't equally protected. Yeah. No matter who you are or claim to be, if you rob a bank, there's a there's a process by which we convict that person. The actions here, they're wanting to de- declare a whole set of actions as normative, and yet historically these are not normative actions, and they have had some of them penalties applied to them criminal and certainly if a society says that's or if a person says that's wrong i don't want to participate in that i don't want the participation of that shoved in my face or stuck with the uh, approval of me i i'm going to speak out against that the the, the the vatican today said no blessing for same-sex unions well that's they're already in violation if this law were to become uh become law if the Senate passed it and Joe Biden signed it, the Catholic Church is now in violation of that Section 7. Because they're saying, no, it's, it's, that's a moral law, wrong homosexuality. We, we can't ask God to bless that. Yet this law says, oh, no, if you bless a man and a woman in marriage, you've got to bless a man and a man and a woman and a man. And I don't know on a man, and I don't know, and I don't know. you, you got to do all that. So well, let me jump to just another little twist on this, because I think this is important. This has kind of been where I've been, uh, while I've been listening to you all, I've been just kind of pouring over a few different ideas in, in my head. Uh, one of the myths that gets perpetuated about this, and if you read HR 5, you'll see multiple things where it's saying, you know, women are a discriminated class. Women are a discriminated class. Look, we can certainly say that there is a inequality concerning wages and gender. That's objective proof, right? Um, Part of that, I, you know, I I just think that there is uh, obviously a inherent flaw in humanity and that we're always looking for ways to cut the bottom line and no matter who it hurts. And so one of the pieces that's advocated by proponents of this is that the Equality Act is good for women and it upholds Title IX of the Education Amendment Act, which prohibits sex discrimination against women. Is H.R. 5 good for women? I would say destructive for women because Mm -hmm. of If I'm a woman prisoner in the Kansas uh, penal system and this law is passed and they tell me that my new cellmate is, uh, well, he used to be Ralphie, but now he's Raquel. And that's my new cellmate. By the way, California has already said if you identify as a woman, you get a right to go to a woman's cell. If you identify as a woman, you can compete against women in sports. If you identify as a woman, you go into a woman's shelter, a, a shelter for abused women. Mm-hmm. If, if, if Ralphie, who is now Raquel, says, I'm an abused woman, that's what I identify with. Well, then I go into the women's shelter because I'm, and that, that's mentioned in here, particular shelters. So how's that sheltering a woman? Again, much of what feminism has 
purported to do and help women has punished women and damaged women. And this is easily the most anti-woman piece of legislation I've seen uh, ever because it it will do incredible harm to women. Uh, why let a guy into a woman's prison? I've got one for you. If why, you. why let a guy into a woman's shelter or a woman's locker room or any of these places? But this law says it's going to. That's how it will be if it passes. The way that I lead the, read this law, because it does talk about how it's discrimination now to tell someone that the and discrimination is the key piece here. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it is a action of hate. It is a hate crime. Essentially, to say, if I own a ballet school that primarily serves little girls, um, Adam's daughter is in a ballet school, Violet and Evie did ballet in in some form or another, right? And uh, girls gymnastics. If I own that school and the bathroom is connected with the girls' little changing room, locker room, and using your name, Ralphie, who is now Raquel, comes in and says, I'm going into that bathroom. I can't say, no, you can't do that. At the moment that I say, no, you cannot go in there, even though he has a history, even if he doesn't have a history of pedophilia, at the moment I say he cannot go in there, I have now closed the doors on my facility. Mm Mm-hmm. There is massive harm there. Here's another one. If I have a daughter who is a great athlete and she is repeatedly beaten by four boys who identify as women, she has missed opportunities for scholarships. She's missed opportunity to have an equal playing field in her athletic competition. It's just crazy. Um, The other thing here. One of the things that is purported is that, well, there is so much discrimination against trans, the trans community when it comes to adoption. You see, if there were, and I'm actually going to the bill uh, right now, I believe it is in section 20, 20. Numerous studies document the shortage of qualified and available homes for approximately 424,000 youth in child welfare system and negative outcomes for many youth who live in group care as opposed to a loving home or who age out of care without permanent family placement. Essentially, there is this idea that if we apply this law and it gets passed into law, excuse me, this bill and it gets passed into law, we have now expanded the field of qualified adoptive parents. But there's a real problem with that. You see, many ministries in the United States that are adoptive training facilities, such as the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, are religiously affiliated. And at the point when we don't say that it is no longer part of our, it is not in the best interest of our moral convictions to allow our children that are in our care to be adopted by trans Families, and again, here's the interesting idea. The terminology of family is expanded as well. So it could actually be 10 guys and and one lady who say, well, we're a family. 
right, that are in some type of polyamorous relationship, at the moment where we say, no, that's not really a family, oh, and by the way, three of them are trans, we can't, we cannot allow these kids to be adopted out to you, we're now discriminating, and therefore we have to shut the facility. Likewise, at the point where I, as a parent, a possible adoptive parent, say, okay, we'd love to have this child who has been abused come into our home as a foster kid. At the point where that kid now says, no, I'm trans and we can't do anything about that. We have now, you have now lost an opportunity. So at the point where we have to now accommodate these children in their confusion, you've now lost even more families than you have ever expanded. Does that make sense? It does. And indeed, uh, Many, uh, when we had adopted children, we went through Lutheran social services, and they had rules about who could adopt and who could not. That'll all be gone. And then I, I don't know that they're as large as an organization as they once were, but yes, historically, the uh, adoption and care of children was something that Christians uh, took took up and embraced and still do. And you're going to lose folks who do this stuff. You're going to lose folks, and you lose prospective parents. The, the, the trans community is a narrow slice of confused people. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more folks who have a husband and a wife who are out there who are taking in children. But if you tell them, here's the new rules, again, you can't tell your child that you're adopting. They can't change their gender just because they're down about it, then you're out. Yeah. And here's the, here's the big thing. And this is the big point is right now. I mean, there, there's no definition the the problem with like Roe versus Wade um, snuck in because it was presupposed in the con- constitution that, you know, life begins at when, when, whenever God says so. Right. And that yeah. right, life, it presupposes that life begins at, conception but what they snuck in roe versus wade was the fact that it did not explicitly state that fact so they go since it didn't really um state that then it's up to your respective beliefs about when it starts you know and then we can go from there and that's kind of how it snuck in here there is no definitions of these things of uh, at least legally um, when it comes to gender identity and the term sexual orientation so this is going to codify those as real things. Yes. That is not good. So here, here's the deal. Love your neighbor means if you, if your neighbor is deluded, help them. And so this is going to just codify insanity. It's going to codify the fact that, you know, that there's going to be people out there that need help, but we're saying that they're okay. So we're giving the diabetic sugar. That's what? the problem there. They have a medical problem. And we, we need to love them. And it's one of those things I don't want to make fun of anybody. I don't want to make fun of somebody with a problem. But the person with a problem needs help. And I don't mind helping people through these things. But see, you get rid of conversion therapy, right? You get rid of any sort of whatever they can define as conversion therapy. You get rid of that. Again, we've defined it as disciple making. Um, you, cut, you cut the church out, then we can't help people. Um, you've discriminated against us saying that we can't do what we are called to do by our God, right? And so then again, that now it's an inequality act. 
um, in that sense. Um, so, you know, so now we get these things codified and now we have a definition that is legal, that there is that gender identity is real, which gender, gender identity here, just to give you a Merriam Webster's definition. And this is the problem is, um, let me clear some ads here. Apparently I wanted to put up some ads <laughs> over my definition. Oh man. All right. Let me see if I can get over this, but gender, a person's internal sense of being. So it's a person defining themselves. Um, the person apparently doesn't have to accept any sort of reality other than whatever they feel themselves to be. That's gender identity and sexual orientation over against sexual preference is that it's real that you are hardwired to say, you know, your sexual orientation is cis, right? So I am hardwired and I can't act against it, um, that I am attracted to the opposite. Well, sex, gender, I don't even know anymore, right? That's the problem with we're making absolute definitions in a time where we're trying to get rid of absolute definitions. Um, but that that's the whole problem of this. So if we legalize this, if this gets passed and it gets signed in, we are legalizing absurdity. That's going to end up ruining everything. A movie I've found very funny, it's called Arsenic and Old Lace. I don't know if you ever saw it. It has... Uh Cary Grant in it. It's a funny film. And his brother believes himself to be Teddy Roosevelt. And he dresses like Teddy Roosevelt, uh, acts like Teddy Roosevelt. And there's no question his brother is not Teddy Roosevelt, but he thinks he is. And in the course of the movie, he's committed to an institution. Because that's what you do with people who deny reality. They you know, it was a little harmless, but he did some things that were annoying and he got himself so obnoxious with his delusion that he was institutionalized. But it was a mental illness. And that's what gender, dys gender dysphoria is. It's a mental illness. Yeah. It's, and, and when we say, well, in, in the household where he lived, his brother, they all called him Teddy. They went along with it. It didn't help him. It just exacerbated the problem. That's all that this gender identity thing does. It, 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 it continues to feed a delusion that's harmful to that person. And yeah. it's, it, it, it is a destructive thing in the end. Uh, that's one of the reasons why um, a couple of the, the two things I, I noticed in some of the resources I looked at coming up to this, this podcast was pray for people who have gender dysphoria. Pray for the the, mm -hmm. the the lesbian, the homosexual, the bisexual, the the person who is is so confused. Men, pray for them. You show them love, but you don't tell them it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Dave was young and and he had four siblings, and the, one of his a couple of his siblings wanted to play with matches, and. And 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 I said you can't do that. It's it's gonna cause a fire and harm persons. We 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 I couldn't tell him it was okay to play with matches because of the potential for real harm. The real harm is here in these people's lives, and yeah. so we do what we can to prevent it. We speak against it, and yet we still don't. You know, I, we don't we don't hate them. We said we we need to move you from where you're at. But again, this law. If it were to become law, this bill, if it were to become law, it would say, no, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Now, it wouldn't tell me I couldn't tell my kids not to play with 
matches, or my grandkids, I guess now. But it would say I can't counsel them against any of these LGBTQIs. I'm, I'd be in violation. I can't, I can't even call them by the, the wrong pronoun, their chosen pronoun, which yeah. makes no sense either. Yeah, and that's the you know the other thing found in point seven is the fact that either we're all individuals or we are families. So it says that there's a problem with exacerbating family. What is how does it say it here? Is it exacerbates family conflict? Well, it's wrong with family conflict. We just need to destroy the family because we're all individuals. And yeah. even my five year old son could just say. I feel like a girl and I need puberty blockers and I don't need you dad, because really what is a family? Mm -hmm. um, I can just go ask somebody else and they can be like, I can't believe your dad didn't help you out. He's a horrible guy. I'm going to hook you up. You know, that's, that's, that's the way to either there is a family and a mom and dad have authority over kids and can say no and should be consulted um, until, you know, really until the family gets together and goes, this is what family should work. It goes, the mom and dad finally at a certain point goes, you're, you're ready. We taught you now it's time for you to go and go and do as well in our sense, you know, you, if you're a guy, you know, go, go find a wife, mm -hmm. you know, and, and go have another family go in the Lord and, and do his will for your life and through your gifts that he's given you. Um, but you know, the, the thing is like, what's wrong with family conflict when we're all just individuals? Like, why can't my five-year-old now just leave the house if he doesn't like what I do? Because, you know, what is family? Well, but if there is, if, if family conflict is, in, is, a, is an issue that we need to be reconciled in, then we're not individuals and we don't have, there are roles, there are distinctions, there are things to discriminate and be discriminating because discriminating is not bad um, down to the simple fact of, do you like the blue box or do you like Velveeta? You discriminated. I understand that's trivial, but we do make decisions based on likes and dislikes. And so, you know, it's there, there's the issue. Um, I don't agree that the state should impose any sort of discrimination, which would be the 64 issue blacks from the government from the top down said, we will segregate and we needed to destroy those things. But if we don't have private discrimination, we are going to see everybody fighting and killing each other. Two things real quick, dad and Adam, I just want to make sure we get these before yeah. we close yeah, out. Go for it. Number one, remember LGBTQ plus I, however you want to define that, there are no guardrails for that term. It continues yeah. on to, you know, we've joked LBGTQRSPWX, right? And, and we've said that in jest, but there actually is a reality in that. There's mm -hmm. a rising movement, um, and it's been on the radar for a while. We've never done a show on it. Uh, but the, the furry movement, people who think that they're animals. Essentially, yeah. they now identify themselves how I'm a fox. This act would include those individuals in there. Yep. Here's where this gets really crazy. When I was a little kid, I would play like I was a dog. My parents have now abused me if I say, no, no, I'm a dog. Mm -hmm. And they say no. You might think that that's silly. But it's really not. 
Mm-hmm. That now is the means by which the government can take a child from your home. Mm-hmm. So at the point when my parents, when I was four years old and playing like I was a cat, said, you're not a cat, you're a little boy. That is now a definition of abuse and discrimination against my preferred identity. Mm -hmm. The other little element, and this is one thing that I think needs to be spoken to. Here we live in a society where we have said uh, that everyone has a right to health care, which is crazy, right? Uh, I'm sorry, but it is. I do think that everyone should be treated when they have had an emergency. I think that that's a very important thing. If it's a life or death situation, I think that they need to be treated. treated. But now it is discrimination for a doctor to tell a young woman who says that she's a man, a 13-year-old girl who says she is a boy, it, it is illegal for him as a doctor or for her as a doctor not to uh, participate in a double mastectomy on a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. We live in a time where there is a doctor shortage because of all of the massive amount of litigation every year. Good qualified doctors are leaving, um, leaving the profession seriously because inc- incredible, crazy hours. And guess what? Now they're being told you have to perform this. Otherwise we'll sue you. We lose any ability for there to be a higher quality of life when we say doctors have to do this with a gun to their head, essentially, or a knife to their throat, because we'll cut you off. This is the profession that you've trained for. But human flourishing is not going to be, or it's going to do, be done serious harm because doctors will be, per, will be forced to perform same-sex, cha- or excuse me, sex change operations on children. So a very serious, uh, serious problem that uh, creates a, a massive issue. Uh, let's end this way, though, because yeah. I want to end on a hopeful note. So, Dad, you're the most optimistic person that I know. Uh, I believe pretty darn close. So what would you say to the Christian who now has this, uh, who has been lambasted with all this negative implications of the equality act and anxiety about it? What do you say to those individuals? Always a good idea to contact, contact your Senator because this bill is now in the Senate and say, Hey, this is a problem for me. And I want you to do everything you can to see if this bill doesn't see the light of day. Uh, it, it would, and you can list what what you think are the destructive parts of it, which there are many, and let them know. That's that's always a great option. Now, I've contacted senators over the years, and sometimes they say thanks, no thanks. Sometimes I've contacted them, and and I'm sure it wasn't just me, but they changed their position on a, a, a thing or two. Not. For me, but just because I'm sure I was one of many who said, hey, that that bothers me. I don't like your position. And they, they can change it. So certainly the other side is going to be contacting senators mm-hmm. and saying, hey, pass this bill. We, we should be the other voice in there. We certainly be praying again for those in authority. We're always commanded to do that. Praying for those who are confused, deluded. And as, as a Christian, I, I rarely bring up political things. Studies, but I've, I've in this act in in the Bible studies that I do said this is something to be aware of and 
and pray for and work for. My, my as being the optimist, optimist that I am, I don't think it will. It's not going to get sixty votes for cloture. I don't believe. I don't believe they're going to get rid of the filibuster. So shouldn't pass. But you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I'm again. I'm most hopeful in that most Christians in the world don't have these protections. We, we're 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 in this country where we've been spoiled. We got wow, we got I can worship and free and open and honest, and lots of Christians don't get to do that. Yeah. So if they take that away from us, then we're just like the rest. The first century Christians had none of these protections. They were yeah. persecuted. Church grew. So it just calls on us, no matter what the government decides or where we find ourselves in a political legal debate, our responsibility as Christians has never changed. We're going to make disciples. Preach yeah. the gospel, disciples, love people, pray yeah. for them, minister to them. Yeah, and I would say, you know, this, this is going to chew people up and spit them out. And uh, the thing is, is we're going to be able to be there. And it's one of those things, who cares about point number seven saying you can't basically, basically staying, you can't preach the gospel, bring people in and watch their lives change, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the, the specific issue of somebody recognizing I do have a problem and I need Christ. I need the gospel and we need to give to God what is God's here. Despite, you know, even if it throws us in jail, even if it kills us right, we don't die. You know, the, the sting of death is gone. It's not abolished. We will still die. But the thing is, it's the sting of death is abolished because we know we go be with the Lord. Um, we know that he is coming one day to judge the living and the dead to a, re- you know, there will be a resurrection um, and then there will be eternity um, with, with Christ, you know, with the triune God um, that we get to be with him forever. And so, you know, that's, that's our hope. That's what we look for, but this is going to chew people up and spit them out. The, the, the cool thing is if you read through the Psalms, it's the column, the common thing is they will dig a pit and they will fall into their own pit. Mm. That's, that's a common theme in the Psalms. That David recognized, um, I'm sure the uh, first century church, as you're talking about, they probably saw the same thing happen. They, they dug their own pit and they fell into their own pit. And so now America is going to dig its own pit and it's going to fall into its own pit and people are going to get hurt. People are going to get thrown out of things. And here we are. We're the church. Now let's give them the gospel no matter what. And that's, that's the hope. The hope is the gospel. If there is no gospel and if we don't preach the gospel, we're not giving the world hope. If we're not bringing them in because of the gospel, then that's on us, and we're going to be judged for that as well. So you know, it's continue on, you know, in hope. And uh, but that's you know, kind of my my optimism among the pessimism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you, Dad, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm grateful for the historical background on this. Uh, I am grateful for the insight and the research that you did adam thank you for the great research you did it is a pleasure i think this is like time seven or eight that we've had you on so appreciate you as a guest very thankful for that so But so with that said, um, there will be probably future talks about the Equality Act. Thank you, um, uh, YouTubers, uh, for for suggesting this. And seriously, we listen. We want content that you guys want to us to, or us to talk about. If we're not talking about something you want to hear, please let us know. We'll end up uh, eventually getting to it at some level. Especially, um, thank you for this Equality Act thing and bringing us into the conversation with that. So we hope this has been edifying to you. And with that said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I am Ray Ray. 
I am David Van Bepper Jr. And I'm David Van Bepper Sr. And Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah.